This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello, good evening, and welcome to the Lit Lit Show on Thursday, the 1st of February. On a fabulous show tonight, we have a special guest, Professor Dr. Rachel Lofthouse. Tonight, we're going to talk about something all teachers know about, the staff room. Let's get to it. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TTRadio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. I love the Professor Doctor. That's a very unusual title. Oh, we might as well give you your full title. Is that not your title? Usually you choose one or the other, but it's very, yes, both, both apply. (laughs) Oh, that's maybe me. I'm quite old fashioned. I thought that's just the way you did it, but there you go. There you go. Enjoy it. (laughs) Thank you. Ah, Rachel, so you did some work on staff rooms. Um, We're going to talk about staff rooms this evening. We're going to, yes. Yeah, yeah. Is it a controversial topic? I think it's a little bit prickly, a little bit thorny, maybe even staff rooms. Do you know, I haven't thought about it as controversial. Um, Right. I'm I'm curious about them um, and certainly finding out how other people feel about the staff rooms in their schools and colleges has demonstrated that we don't all experience them in the same way. So I guess you could argue that in some cases there's a degree of controversy or tension, but in others there's just that natural sense that we're all different. The places we inhabit are different and the and the you know the person that we are that we take into those places is different. Yeah, yeah, very true. Yeah, yeah. I suppose um, <clears throat> when I was thinking about uh, doing the program and having a chat with you, I kind of thought about my experiences of staff rooms over a very, very long number of years. And it goes away back to primary school. And I, I went to a very small three teacher primary school. And there was a kind of a staff room, but the door was always open and you could walk in and out and you know, you saw the teachers drinking tea and coffee and eating scones and things. And there was something very warm and homely and human about that. So, so that was one of my first experiences of a staff room. Oh, I have just lost you now. Yeah, oh, I've got you back now. Oh, good. Right. No, I lost you. I couldn't hear you for a minute there. Maybe you closed oh. the door about staff room. <laughs> It's probably a good thing. A lot of people would say it's a good thing not to be able to hear me. (laughs) I was just saying very quickly, my first experience of a staff room is the primary school teachers I had, where it was always kind of warm and colorful and cozy, and they were eating scones and drinking tea. Isn't it interesting, actually, though, that we, as teachers, our first experience of the staff room was probably as pupils. Yes. And yeah. so it's not just something that we engage with in a professional sense, in our adult mm. roles, 
but it ha- yeah. if we have a memory of it from when we were younger. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I, I have, I have very clear memories of uh, that primary school uh, staff room. Now, yeah, I, I'm trying to I, remember. Oh, I think we've lost you again. Struggling. I heard a funny sound there. Oh, I've got you back now. Yeah. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm trying to remember my primary staff room, primary school staff room, and I'm struggling. I can remember the head teacher's office. <laughs> that might tell you something. It just might. I think I know the inside of my head teacher's office well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, are, are you still there, Rachel? I am. Yes, I am. Oh, good, good. I thought I'd lost you again. Yeah. <laughs> I, I moved on to secondary school then and um i went to a boarding school as listeners know and you know you have to kind of say nowadays it's, it was quite like hogwarts and uh, that staff room was a very different affair in fact that staff room in my uh, post-primary school was down quite a lengthy dark corridor and it was on the right and you would not have dared to set foot in the corridor, let alone approach the staff room or knock the door. And the door would always have been closed. Um, so that, that was a very contrasting, very different kind of experience. Yes. Well, even those two anecdotes then do demonstrate that the staff room space is, is unique to each context, probably. Mm. Um, and the experience that others have of it um, might stay with them for a while, because clearly you've remembered those two things quite yeah. clearly from your from your school days. Mm. Yeah, yeah. My parents were both teachers, and maybe that has you know some influence. You know that. Um, I suppose actually, I'm just thinking now. Yes, I might actually occasionally have been in the staff room of my mother's school from time to time just remembering that now <laughs> yeah. Yeah. i suppose then moving on my next experience of staff rooms was uh, when i went on what we call teaching practice here or teaching experience you know you're a young teacher and you're placed in a school and uh you know, for the six or eight weeks, whatever it is, you're kind of part of the school. Um, and I suppose that was very different experiences for me being in the staff room for the first time as a teacher, albeit a student teacher. Yes, I, I remember that being a student teacher and the two different schools and the different staff rooms. Those are very vivid memories. Um, And I also know that as a teacher educator, having visited dozens and dozens of student teachers on their placements, that the staff rooms that they were welcomed into were very different places. And on a couple of occasions, they were literally not welcomed into those staff Mm -hmm. rooms. They were, Mm -hmm. there was a definite sense that there wasn't enough space for the student teachers or it wasn't appropriate for the student teachers to be there. And sometimes it was the case that student teachers were almost given their own mini staff room to gather in, which was often portrayed as we're doing them a favor. We've we've given them this space, which is true. Space is helpful, but could also be a bit dislocating, I think. Yes. And 
I have experience of all of those types of staff room you mentioned. Yeah, the first one I was in as a student teacher was, oh, it was so warm. And, you know, there was so much empathy in the room, so much communication. These teachers who had, you know, many, many, many years of experience spoke to me as an equal. They asked me, how did I get on? Oh, you teach that year 10 class. How did so-and-so behave today? And there was a real sense of kind of unifying camaraderie, empathy, understanding, which I do to this day recollect allowed me very much to grow into the kind of teacher that I became. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a very formative experience. Very much a formative experience, yeah. The following year, I went to a different school for my teaching practice and on the first day you meet the principal and so on and so forth and you're you're shown to the staff room and on the first i was shown into a seat whereupon maybe 10 or 15 minutes later a teacher came in and barked at me and said get out of my seat and that was a very different (laughs) it it changed the course of the six-week placement i can tell you I'm sure it did. And it's um, it's a it's a cliche, but it also really does happen, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, it does happen. Oh, it does. And I mean, like you, I'm fortunate enough now, you know, to go around and visit stu- students on placement. And you really do get a sense of uh, the relationships, the dynamic, the rapport and how they're treated when you see them in that environment. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's very true. What are the uses of staff rooms then, Rachel? Um, well, as we've already suggested, there's there's huge variation. Um, but I do think that what from from the piece of research that I've been doing, you get a genuine sense that for some people the staff room is that safe space. It's it's the place where they can escape from the immediate and urgent kind of challenge of their role, their forward facing role in front of children and working with children and young people and just gives them those few moments in the day of adult company, which, um, you know, hopefully all teachers like children and young people, but we're people people. So hopefully, we also like to engage with our colleagues and our adults, or we just like that sense of retreat and that moment to get your head back into gear, um, breathe a little bit more deeply rather than in that kind of hurried sense where you're always, you know, you're always on task and you're always on show. So I think for some people, the, the staff rooms are evidently a place of, of retreat and release and companionship. And, and in that respect, you know, perfectly legitimate part of their workplace and um, an essential part for some people. Um, other people who responded to the research had a had a, a definite purpose that they saw the connections they made with others in their staff room serving. So they recognised, for example, that in those places they they knew who to seek out for certain types of advice, um, yeah. or they, you know, they uh, 
They maybe didn't go with a purpose, but they would leave with a sense of they picked up an idea or they'd had an anxiety, um, you know, dampened down a little bit by some reassurance. Mm-hmm. Um, so that sense of learning with and from each other and accepting um, some of the norms and routines of schools that you experience and sometimes experience as, as, as challenging and, and as dilemmas, and they are challenging and they are dilemmas, but then acknowledging that they're not unique to you, that other mm-hmm. people in that community experience things that are similar and, um, and may have very similar emotional responses to them or perhaps different emotional responses to them. But mm-hmm. that sense of coming together and acknowledging them in a communal space at least eases some of that anxiety that it's it's just me <laughs> that ex- is experiencing this trouble, this issue, this this dilemma. So I think for some people that is very, very important. That certainly seemed to come through. Um, and for others, that you know, some people are very strategic. P- people are different, aren't they? And some people use those staff room spaces quite strategically. You know, a place to find the, um, you know, the people who they will find to be allies over time. Um, working out some of the micropolitics of a school. Um, working out who the influences are, who the, you know, those sorts of things. People, you know, as employees, as professionals, mm-hmm. we use all, some people particularly do use every opportunity to think and act strategically and a staff room would be no different uh, to anywhere else in a school. Gosh, that's very interesting. Yes. Yeah. And I, I, I recognize all three of those uh, kind of meanings to it, you know, the sanctuary, uh, the, the making connection with others, the getting reassurance and the strategies. Yeah. Gosh, that's very interesting. We used to sit, um, one of the schools I taught in, um, a kind of usual seat, and, and we'll come to that maybe in a minute, but it would have been diagonally opposite the main entrance. And occasionally a colleague or two and I would sit and we would just watch teachers coming in to the staff room if we were ever lucky enough to have a, a free class or a free period. And it was amazing. You could identify on their faces, you know, those kind of patterns that you referred to almost. So they would come in after, you know, maybe a difficult break duty and they would come in through the door and everybody would kind of sigh and you could see the shoulders drop and, you know, they would move over towards the the coffee machine or whatever. Very interesting. And I think we have to acknowledge as well that just just as everything else in in schools and education is uh, it's not static, uh, staff rooms have changed a lot. Yeah. Um, and I've been working in education for 33, 34 years. Um, mm-hmm. And certainly there's a lot of physical change in the way that staff rooms are organized, um, used. Um, and then there's the, there's the time component that many educators would say, you know, that there's significantly less time now than there might have been mm-hmm. 15, 20 years ago for those mm-hmm. staff room encounters. And so we're not talking about something that's remained constant. We're talking mm-hmm. about something that is constantly shifting, I think, um, in when we think about staff rooms. And the pre and during and post 
pandemic lockdowns also, I think, have have made a difference too. Yeah, yeah, I do. Yes, I agree. Yeah, um, we we had a period of um, change to some of our rooms. You know, the school kind of outgrew the buildings very quickly, and staff room had to be given up as a, a classroom. Um, and the staff were kind of ranging around and floating everywhere, and they they kind of found little corners and niches and whatnot to. Uh, you know, to, to inhabit. Yeah. But I think we probably find that was quite divisive because a lot of cliques and a lot of little groups kind of formed. Maybe that wasn't so, uh, it wasn't so healthy. Um, It's interesting as well to think, were those the cliques that already existed and they drifted into common spaces or were they then reinforced or even created by that, um, you know, that need for separation. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. Yes. And I think they certainly would have certainly would have begun as little cliques that were already formed in the classroom, a much wider open environment, but they could gravitate to somewhere that was smaller. And very often, of course, you know, a storeroom somewhere that was out of sight and, you know, uh, certainly out of sight of leadership and management. But then I think there was probably some kind of restructuring would take place. And it was almost for some of them was like a membership um, emerged. You had to be a certain type of person to be able to have your tea or coffee or lunch with that group. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. yeah very quite tribal. Uh, well, yes, yes, um, definitely tribal and uh, divisive and not good or conducive to kind of, you know, school politics and, and things like that. Yeah. So, you know, is a staff room necessary, Rachel? Is it an absolute? Must we have one in a school? Oh, do you know, I'm not sure I'm qualified to answer that. Um, I, mm. I, I think I think there are some significant advantages to having a physical space that is dedicated to the adults in the building. Mm. Um, and yeah, so that in that respect, yes, I think they're necessary. But of course, you can create a physical space, but it doesn't mean it becomes used frequently. Uh, so we always have discretion and discern- discernment in that sort of respect, unless, and again, you know, some schools will still hold regular um, in-person face-to-face briefings in the staff rooms, but a lot of schools, the staff don't fit in the staff room for mm-hmm. a briefing of that sort anymore. You know, the luxury of space um, has gone um, if it was ever there in in yeah. many of our schools. So that kind of notion, certainly the, the schools I worked in uh, or the second school I worked in, we did have a weekly briefing from the head teacher um, and it was always in the staff room and it meant that some people were, you know, standing, some people were sitting, some people were still drinking yeah. a cup of tea. It was, felt relatively informal, but also really quite important. It was a, you know, really key feature of each week um but i don't think that many schools have a staff room 
big enough for that. Or if they do, I think there's probably now a sense that those briefings are more formal. So mm -hmm. you perhaps bring people into a more formal business-like space because staff rooms don't necessarily have those business-like characteristics. And of course, probably in a lot of schools, the sense of a regular face-to-face -face gathering or brief briefing has been almost entirely superseded by, you know, the the digital platform, the messages that are sent out. Yes, that kind yes. Of thing. And similarly, you know, we, we would always have had uh, pigeonholes, lots of mail, lots of mm -hmm. copying to collect, all the stuff, all the kind of, you know, that paperwork machinery of a school. That mm -hmm. tends not to exist so much nowadays. So um, there's, you know, that that reason for going to a staff room to see what's in your pigeonhole has has gone. So I, I think, you know, technology, um, the, the lack of time, but also that sense, I think in a lot of the bigger schools, we, we've kind of adopted more of a business-like approach and that sense that we, you know, a staff room is probably too informal for the sorts of information passing that are often deemed appropriate and necessary. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, you know, it's interesting. You ask, do we need them? Well, it depends, I guess, what else we have available to us. You know, if mm -hmm. we have other ways mm -hmm. in which teachers gain information, get together formally as well as informally, you know, get some refreshments, you know, have that moment away from the kids. If we have other ways that that can be achieved, then perhaps we don't need a staff room. Um, but staff rooms may play a particular part for some teachers in some settings that are, that is hard to replace. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Gosh, I remember those days. You brought a lot of uh, memories back to me with your images of, uh, you know, the briefings in, in the overpacked staff room, of course. Um, and as you say, some people drinking tea and having a biscuit and others standing, lying up against the walls. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I always thought, and, and I, again, another thing I was on both sides of, you know, I would have been a teacher sitting down, listening to briefings. And then after a while, I would have been the person giving the briefings. Um, it's interesting. Yes, I, I, I quite enjoyed that and enjoyed both sides of it. There's something about um they're very atmospheric in a way and we only ever have one briefing a week it was always on a monday and you know particularly if you got in early you had your cup of tea you had your chats and then you know when when you were either receiving or giving the briefing that that was the marker it wasn't so much the bell but that was the marker that signified the week has begun yeah and, yes, uh, and and there's a sense of community, I think, isn't there, in that sort of at that sort of time, um, and I a sense that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. It's interesting. You talked about the images, the the kind of memories that mm. you know um, are being evoked here, and the things that both of us can recall from our staff room days as teachers, and of course we have other. Um, I have a, a different role now, different type yeah. of building, different type of space. But it was yeah. the images um, I, in, in the research that I did, I did recently, it was conducted through the use of images, but not images of staff rooms. Um, I wanted to connect 
people's memories of or experiences of staff rooms through images that were other than physical images of staff rooms. So I used things like bridges and libraries and sand pits and mm -hmm. um, uh, park benches and uh, toolboxes. And mm -hmm. I think I had about 50 different images. And one of the ways into the research was for people to look across all of these images and select one that resonated with them in relation to their experiences mm -hmm. of staff rooms. And that was a really interesting way in uh, mm -hmm. to that piece of work um, and generated a lot of responses and a lot of really seem, what seemed to be very thoughtful responses, actually. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, and listeners should maybe know, you know, I, I attended a talk you gave recently in, in Dublin where you, you went through uh, a lot of that. Uh, and just sitting in the audience listening to you, I thought, yes, they're very powerful. There was a lot of emotion attached to some of the images that people were choosing. Yes, there really was. Yeah, there really was actually. Yeah. Um, and and oddly, you, you know, when when I was selecting these images, although you, as a researcher, you want to be neutral, <laughs> when mm -hmm. when you're looking and thinking, what what images might I find and provide for people to respond to? It's impossible with some of them to completely disassociate your own response. Um, so I remember, for example, um, uh, picking an image of two hands tightly gripped in tension, mm. and it was just called the grip. And I, in my mind, felt that it was quite a, a troubling image. Mm. Um, and I was really, therefore, quite surprised when some of the responses selecting that image were very positive responses. Mm. And I remember one of the phrases that somebody used uh, was that they go to the staff room um, because it's where I get a grip back on my sense of worth as a teacher and Very my good. purpose as a teacher. So it holds me fast. You know, when everything else seems to be battering me, this grip that I get a sense of in the staff room with my colleagues holds me fast. And I was quite taken aback by that because mm -hmm. not only is it a very strong emotion, very powerful emotion, but it was also not the one I expected to get no. from that image. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So it was, a, it was a very interesting way of um, exploring, exploring those perceptions and experiences. Something I hadn't tried doing anything quite like that before as a researcher. And I very much appreciated the fact that I decided to because I found it, it was responded to well. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of like research, you know, that might come out of uh, or, or work really or working that might come out of, you know, uh, you know, another discipline, another hat I wear. And that's kind of therapy and, you know, how images are kind of you know, important, significant, symbolic drivers for us and carry and hold an awful lot of meaning, which is unique, unique to us, of course. 
but very, very powerful work. Oh. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. See, we've kind of alluded a little bit to it, but what qualities or characteristics then should a staff room have? You know, we, we've talked about size, talked a little bit maybe about tea or coffee or what should a staff room look oh, of course there's no right answer but you know, <laughs> what are the generic the generic kind of qualities that a staff room might have oh that again a, a good question and there are um i guess there's some fine balancing isn't there um so you want enough space so that people don't feel as if when they come in there's nowhere to be um but you also don't want it to be so uh big that if it's actually only got two or three people in it it feels empty and hollow and lonely and dissolute um so i think using space i mean however much space you've got if you're an interior designer i guess you've, you have expertise in thinking how how can this space be used how will people use this space um i mean uh, certainly a lot of people picked the picture of the mug of tea you won't be too surprised um, i was going to come to that <laughs> <laughs> so and again you kind of assume that they're picking the picture of the mug of tea because they're going to say it's it's great to you know to get some refreshments and sit down and have enough time to drink a cup of tea um, and some people certainly did and some people really said you know the reason that they go is because there is available um you know people are actually serving you mugs of tea or coffee as opposed to you've got to wait for the kettle to boil in the corner of your classroom um mm. a few people said that sort of thing um okay, some yeah. yeah some people um you know the the the, the idea that you had the, the the ability to get some refreshments itself was um, a source of tension because they knew they should <laughs> they should mm -hmm. they should try and hydrate they knew they should try and eat something but they actually physically didn't really have enough time to get across the whole school campus you know up oh, the yeah. stairs you know and then to mm -hmm. queue up and then mm -hmm. so that sense of what should be there. You know, somebody's made the effort to provide the facility for a mug of tea. It doesn't mean that just because it's there, it works for everybody. So again, there's this whole thing about you, you might have a set of kind of golden rules, but you've then got to work out how the system will accommodate them. Um, so definitely, you know, people were valued the opportunity to sit and chat and grab some refreshments uh, uh, and whatever that looks like in your context it, you know if it works for people that's great um a bit of flexibility around the seating so that people can sit in quite big gatherings and have a bit of a laugh yeah. you know a bit of a a bit of a uh, you know a sense of you know there's seven or eight of us here and the pressure's not on anybody particularly we're just here we're just together and then maybe a few quieter spaces with that opportunity for those you know those Maybe not confidential conversations, that's not appropriate in a staff room, but the quieter, reassuring conversations, but also to meet the needs of the different teachers. Because we can assume oh, all teachers are extroverts, but blatantly that's not true. Um, we can assume that everybody's confident, blatantly yeah. that's not true. So, mm -hmm. you know, having a staff room space that allows for that complexity and that diversity of, of personality and, and choices that people make about how they want to use space and connect with others can make such a big difference. But the other thing I would say is that 
the, 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 the staff room room is just a room. It's the staff that make the difference. So oh, yeah. it's mm-hmm. the ability of the space to evolve as the staff evolve, you know, mm-hmm. so that it's not, it's not like, um, you know, fixed seating with, you know, you know, that kind of clinical space, which is, you know, this or even beautifully luxurious space that mm-hmm. has been put in place and imposed on staff without a sense that staff can go in and actually make it feel like theirs, mm-hmm. you know, so too corporate, it's unlikely to feel like it really belongs to the staff that that belongs mm-hmm. to the, to the organization. Um, but something that can evolve as the staff evolve, something that doesn't kind of, you know, feel like it's, um, you know, lost its way because somebody brought in a, you know, a plant pot with a plant mm-hmm. in, yeah. um, and yeah. then enough people to go in and check that that plant is still alive. Those are the sorts of things. <laughs> very <to> good. <laughs> That's very good. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I know that in a lot of schools now, staff rooms, are have been converted into teacher workstations. Um, and so that opportunity to, you know, maybe come away from your classroom and work somewhere different is often accommodated. But if, if it's only workstations and no social space, that feels like a compromise or that compromises all sorts of things. Uh, you know, yeah. having, having, a, having a, a bay with some, with some books and some posters with some fresh ideas of resources and websites, that sort of thing that people can, you know, glance in at and see what catches their eye. That sort yeah. of thing I think makes a difference as well. But I mean, they are complex spaces if they're going to work, if they're going to function well for a number of purposes, for a number of different people over a period of time. Um, but I think probably that sense that it belongs to the staff and that it's theirs to shape probably mm-hmm. allows it to be more appropriate and more useful than if it isn't. Um, but but also remembering that, you know, teachers are adults, they have choices about the places where they want to work. And in mm-hmm. a lot, not all, but in many other workplaces, contemporary workplaces, um, that social space is a seen as a really critical part of the of the environment. So and it's and it's pleasant and it's deliberately pleasant. So you kind of question why shouldn't teachers, teaching assistants, school leaders have a bit of that? Oh, I agree with that. I, I, I agree. Yes, yes. A staff room should be a place where they feel, you know, valued and important and prized and and, and so on. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, that's excellent. You raised an awful lot of uh, issues there for me. Maybe a couple of just, you know, before we have the news segment, uh, Rachel, a couple of quick things. What about um, TVs or music or computer games or things like that? Do you have any thoughts on whether the staff room is an appropriate place for, say, a television with rolling news or something? Do you know, I have no thoughts on that. And I also know nobody in my research referred to that, to anything Mm -hmm. around media in the staff rooms or gaming. It just didn't come up. And I don't, that might be because of the images, because clearly what I was asking was for people to reflect on the images in whatever way they wanted to. Of course. That just didn't get triggered, but I don't know. And what I haven't done is a kind of survey of what have you got in your staff room and um, 
it didn't come up in either the image responses or the focus groups. So no, yeah. that's that's quite mm -hmm. curious. Yeah. Quite interesting. Yeah. I haven't seen it much now, to be honest, but um, I suppose lately, again, you know, going out visiting students and being in a lot of schools over a short period of time, I've maybe seen it occasionally, but but not much. Um, yeah, my, my thoughts, you know, my own thoughts would be, you know, it's not a place for a television and certainly not rolling news. And, and um, yeah, I, but I then think, it, um, we all carry yeah, our own devices, don't we now? So yeah, there's that sense yeah. that, um, you know, very rarely do we all sit and watch the same program anyway. Um, That's true. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. I guess no, it's it's interesting, and I, there is a lot more we could like fathom out um, about mm -hmm. this space. But I hadn't. It, it didn't crop up. It didn't crop up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. You you used the term, uh, you know, the functions of a staff room, and 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 we covered a lot of the functions that I think exist. Um, but but I do think some functions are more prevalent than others. And I think, as you said, those discussions that you can have, that kind of sense of the staff room, almost like a mirror. So, you know, maybe as a young teacher, I'm sitting there and I hear an experienced teacher come in and talk about how he dealt with a class that I have, and maybe I'm finding them difficult. And you can kind of, you know, see how you match up with this teacher who has 20 or 30 years experience, I always find that a very valuable um, kind of learning point in staff rooms. Absolutely. And I think um, we, we, we do shine a much um, fiercer light on professional learning and training nowadays for mm -hmm. teachers. And as a consequence of that, more of it is managed and formalized, I think, through, you know, professional qualifications. Mm -hmm. uh, in England, for example, we have this huge suite now of MPQs. Mm -hmm. um, and, but what we may overlook at times is that informal learning space, the, the kind of emergent and organic um, learning space that is sometimes about serendipity rather than about forward planning. And, and I, yeah, the, the intergenerational learning between more and less experienced teachers, mm -hmm. part of that, yeah. the interdisciplinary learning, you know, those yeah. people who have specialisms um, in different subjects, if you're in a secondary school or even in a primary school where people are taking the lead on different subjects, but also that sense of different roles. So, you know, the SENCOs and their team, the insights mm -hmm. that they might bring to a conversation that bubbles up in a staff room that hasn't had to be planned for, is not part of an agenda, isn't going to be minuted and reported on, but the insights that they bring. And also how, for example, that team might better understand the needs of their staff that they're working to support to meet the needs of children because of the conversations that they have with them outside of that agendered space. That's a fantastic point. And that's a question I had uh, for you. D does the staff room, whatever it's, you know, it's climate, it's whatever the communication or whatever, does the staff room contribute to the quality of teaching and learning? I would hope it does. 
Mm. Um, and I would certainly say from the information I've captured and its self-report, um, there are examples of where teachers feel more empowered or enabled or informed and therefore influences teaching and learning um, or where they feel more um, reassured so they their anxiety is suppressed and that might help them you know manage certain circumstances and classes and sure. so that would have a knock-on effect i mean it's one of those things isn't it where there's it's i know we like to i try and identify these kind of golden threads or the cause and effect and you know we love the idea of a randomized controlled trial that can prove that if you did x rather than y you will get abc um rather than you know one two three we love that idea of being able to diagnose and identify real direct causal effects yeah. but i don't think the reality is that that's true very often. I think when we try and slice education up like that, we're, you know, we're doing it a disservice actually. But the problem is that when we do it a disservice, it's because education is so complex. There are so many components um, that will help to generate the environment in which teachers can teach their best lessons, learners can fulfill their potential. It's, a, a, you know, and that we can create a, a stable and sustainable and happy and thriving, flourishing community. There are so many components yeah. of that, that yeah. you couldn't say, well, it's because of the staff room. But I think you can certainly argue that staff rooms can make a significant contribution as one of those components, but for good or ill, it's like everything. Mm. It can go either way. Yeah. Um, in a, you know, a staff room where the only people who come together um, are those people who are you know, jaded and miserable and find it very hard to say things positive about mm -hmm. individual children is not a place where others are going to come and feel enabled and empowered and informed. And I don't think many staff rooms are like that, but there may be occasions when that's what it becomes. Uh, yes, yes, you do. You can get your cynics corner and, you know, whether it's a permanent feature or whether it's temporary, because as you said earlier, and I definitely agree, I mean, staff rooms do change over time. They evolve, uh, they, they become something else. Yeah. Um, yes, that's very, very interesting what you said, you know, about uh, looking for what directly influences teaching and so on. And, and I'm doing you a disservice there in what, in what you said. And over 39 years, I, I, I've kind of, it's not really resented or, or resisted that. It's, I've maybe not paid that the dues that it, that it is due. And I loved your earlier phrase when you talked about staff rooms being emergent and organic places of learning sometimes, you know, and sometimes, as you said, that's serendipitous. And what I always found was that's kind of much more like person-centered learning. I could go into the staff room on a wet Wednesday morning, having just, you know, done a horrible lesson with a group and I can find someone or something that lifts me. And next Wednesday, I'm, you know, in a better position to deal with that group or to, to help them along. Mm -hmm. I've always found that very, very worthwhile in staff rooms. One of the um, 
interesting things uh, in my work is that I work with a lot of coaches and mentors um, in education. And um, without doubt, coaching in particular has seen a significant surge um, in in English education anyway, mm-hmm. in English schools. Mm-hmm. But oh, it I has think, everywhere I here, it's yeah. Becoming, mm-hmm. It's becoming global. And yeah. um, a couple of years ago, I was working with a group of coaches, quite experienced coaches on the whole, and it was a it was a kind of a deliberate network we brought together online to help because often coaches who are working um, in blended roles or as freelance coaches in education are oddly quite isolated. That you know there isn't the same. They're not part of a team. They're often an individual. Mm-hmm. That's why they're a coach. Mm-hmm. So we mm-hmm. were bringing people together, and we were reflecting on the kind of trajectory of schools and coaching over time. And the majority of people in the space in the online meeting had probably got 20, 30 years experience in education each. Mm. And we were talking about staff rooms and a comment was made that before we had coaching, we had staff rooms. Mm. And that seemed Mm. like a really interesting insight, you know. um, Yes, yes very interesting sort of acknowledgement of a the fact that coaching was growing in in frequency and yeah hopefully hopefully for good effect but that coaching is intentional it's managed it's hopefully um non-hierarchical it hopefully is a space in which the teacher the coachee themselves if you like they set the agenda and lead the way hopefully Mm -hmm. But it's but it is still intentional and managed. It requires a resource, and mm-hmm. um, it, and it's growing massively. And mm-hmm. what we then kind of had this conversation about was, well, what was it about some staff rooms that might have served the same purpose as some coaching? Yeah. What and a super question! Have yeah. we lost some of that? And is mm-hmm. that one of the reasons that coaching is booming? And, you know, we didn't resolve it. It was just a short conversation. But that was one of the things that made me curious uh, to do this piece of work, um, to look at the types of interactions that happen in staff rooms um, and see what kind of impact they have. Yeah. Fascinating thought and, and very interesting to wonder, is there a direct correlation between the two? We that down are, to the cause and effect there. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, that's that. Yeah, that's why I'm saying that. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to listen to some news messages now, and after this short break, we will be wondering who cleans the dirty dishes in in the sink in your staff room, and what's growing in the fridge. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Introducing Eton X from Eton College, a diverse range of quality online courses enabling young people to aspire and excel. 
designed for self-study, these web-based courses empower your students with essential leadership, communication and academic skills for success at school and beyond. Our study skills course sharpens their learning abilities, while the AI Fundamentals course equips them with vital digital know-how in a fast-changing world. Other popular courses include verbal communication, critical thinking, writing skills, resilience, creative problem solving, and many more. Offer the EtonX curriculum in your school for free. Visit EtonX.com to find out more. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. This week in the news, the Joseph Roundtree Foundation published their report, Poverty 2024. Among many of its startling conclusions was that one in five people, that's 22% of the UK population, were in poverty. In 2021 to 22, that's 14.4 million people. 8.1 million were working age adults. 2.1 million were pensioners, and 4.2 million were children aged between 3 and 10. And overall, this represented the longest period of increased poverty in over 20 years. These figures also show that 6 million people were in what the Roundtree Foundation describes as very deep poverty. This week, widely reported, was the government's plan to ban disposable vapes. The Guardian carried a story earlier in the week of a head teacher who revealed that a vape detector he had installed in school bathrooms went off more than 100 times on the first day. He also recalled his horror when a student passed out after sharing a vape with someone else before school. Speaking to head teachers up and down the country, I don't think there's one school where young children are not addicted to vapes, he is quoted saying. The Times Educational Supplement on the 24th of January carried a story that would hardly surprise many teachers, with the headline that just four in ten teachers found their last inset day useful. 41% of classroom teachers questioned in a survey described their last inset day as either somewhat useful or very useful, while a third said it was not particularly useful, according to figures published by Teachers Tab. The findings were based on 9,000 teachers across England, surveyed during the autumn of 2023, and a part of a report highlighting shortcomings in current teacher professional development. However, almost a fifth of teachers, 17%, said they would prefer to receive £2,500 worth of CPD vouchers over, or rather instead of, a £1,000 pay rise. The conclusion being, that teachers value professional development if they have more control over its delivery. According to The Guardian this week, London councils are preparing to mothball schools to avoid a boom or bust cycle of closures. This is primarily caused by a falling birth rate, higher housing costs, and the aftermath of Brexit, which saw an exodus of young families from the London area. This week in the House of Commons, Gillian Keegan, the Education Secretary, was accused of filibustering by the Speaker Lindsay Hoyle, who admonished her for her lengthy, time-wasting answers to questions over exams and crumbling schools. 
The speaker said, we're having this problem every time and it's topical questions. They're meant to be short and punchy. And finally, this week saw the conclusion of the BET Education Technology Conference in London at the Excel Centre. Among the many exhibitors you will have found, if you'd gone there, the Teachers Talk Radio exhibit with Tom Rogers and other Teachers Talk Radio presenters conducting interviews, recording videos, which you can find on YouTube and generally creating awareness of the work of Teachers Talk Radio. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Job Gibbs. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Introducing Eton X from Eton College, a diverse range of quality online courses enabling young people to aspire and excel. Designed for self-study, these web-based courses empower your students with essential leadership, communication and academic skills for success at school and beyond. Our study skills course sharpens their learning abilities, while the AI Fundamentals course equips them with vital digital know-how in a fast-changing world. Other popular courses include verbal communication, critical thinking, writing skills, resilience, creative problem solving and many more. Offer the EtonX curriculum in your school for free. Visit EtonX.com to find out more. Welcome back to the Lit Lit Show on Thursday the 1st of February. I'm with Rachel Lofthouse and we're talking about staff rooms and the research Rachel has done in terms of teachers, staff rooms, and imagery. It's fascinating stuff. And I suppose I'm coming away with just two big things. I'm limiting myself to two big things. And the first thing I'm really thinking or feeling is staff need each other. That's coming across strongly to me. And secondly, that the staff room, the location, uh, and although it's the people that are important, the staff room is a space for growth, development, and learning. Rachel, are you still there? Have we lost? Yes, you? I am. Oh, no, you no, are. I'm still great, 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 great. <laughs> no, Good. I was just listening yeah. to your. I was listening to your reflections. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, we're we're battling with broadband issues and things here, so uh, we'll hope for the best. <laughs> so we will. Rachel, do you think the staff room i know there are briefings and there are things like that but broadly speaking is a staff room a place where senior management and principals should go for example you know to have their lunch or their break or their their tea oh that is a a really good question isn't it i think mm. um in lots of ways i think if they can't won't or don't that is that says something very significant about the staffing structure and the hierarchical constructs of a school mm. um my my personal feeling um 
and this is not so much driven from the research, but my personal feeling is mm -hmm. that those sorts of overly uh, constructed hierarchies are essentially quite unhelpful in schools. Um, and if a staff room is a space where those hierarchies are broken down, um, where people are seen much more as equals, um, having equal value, equal worth, um, equal access to um, opportunity, equal contributions to make, I think that's a really powerful reason for senior leaders, middle leaders, and uh, everyday staff to mix together. On the other hand, I do appreciate, and this does come from the research, that for some people, having that space away from the gaze of senior leaders was really yeah. quite critical. Yeah. Um, but again, it tells you something about the senior leaders and the hierarchy and the implications of that, not the staff room itself. Mm -hmm. True. Yeah. Yeah, very true. Yeah. I suppose I always felt, you know, discretion was the better part of valor there. and. You know, you could go in, you could have a cup of tea, but you might stand over near the, the tea or coffee, but you would go out and leaving staff to to their moment, to their sanctuary. Um, yeah, I mean, I think yeah. that a discerning leader will make the right decisions, won't they? Yeah, well, well you hope so. But yes, yeah, yeah. I, I always think, and I wonder what your thoughts are on this as well. Um, Rachel, I wonder, in your view, are staff rooms confidential places? You see, my my, I have a kind of a, a developed sense over years that um, the staff room, and and I don't mean this in any you know uh, derogatory way or anything, but the staff room does a lot of work for the management. So, you know, allowing staff to get together to have in-depth discussions about school issues, indeed pupils, uh, parents very often, parents are very often discussed in staff rooms and really allowing staff to, you know, bounce off each other, offload issues. And as we talked about earlier, you know, feel refreshed, renewed and, and able to go out again. I think there's a lot of very good work there that if it's not done in that staff room is very much the bread and butter of management. So I'm wondering, you know, are they confidential places in that sense that people can offload? I think there needs to be a space where people can be honest about mm. how they feel and about the challenges that they face. Um, and undoubtedly, sometimes that honesty comes from a place of discomfort um so if we yes yeah, so i think there is that i mean it's difficult isn't it because uh there, there are there are lines in the sand over which it is utterly inappropriate in a professional context to wander and of mm. course there are also issues around safeguarding and well-being and mental health and disclosure oh, that yes, we of course yeah. conscious of whatever our space that we occupy is um mm. But I, I think it goes back to that that notion of before we had coaching, we had staff rooms, that quite a lot of the thoughtful, um, problem solving, reassuring kind of conversations used to happen in staff rooms. Mm -hmm. um, and when they don't, we need to find another outlet for them. And coaching and supervision have become much bigger 
big businesses in some cases. They genuinely are businesses. Um, and yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah, what I think there's something there, but I'm not sure that we can put the genie back in the bottle. <laughs> oh, very good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I suppose that leads me on to, to think a little bit, um, and it's not going to be all the time, but again, as you've said, staff rooms shift, change, evolve, you know, but what kind of things happen then when, you know, the ethos in the staff room becomes different from the ethos of the school? Oh, ask that question again. I have to think about it. I'm just wondering, you know, sometimes staff rooms can evolve and and there can be a period of time for any number of reasons where, you know, maybe there is a little corner and there is some cynicism, some negativity, there's some hurt teachers, uh, you know, there there are teachers who are, you know, feeling underappreciated and undervalued within their schools. And I'm just you know, I, I think what can happen there is that the ethos in the staff room, you know, the climate, the, the the felt sense and so on in the staff room can be different from what the leadership, the management and the gover- governors want in the entirety of the school, you know, through its classrooms, its corridors, its community. I just wonder if you've any experience of that or thoughts on that. Um, I mean, I think that is absolutely the case that staff rooms they they become um they become quite febrile places and they can become quite intense places and um that i mean there's always a gap between the kind of mission statement and the lived experience of any organization mm. um between the kind of ambition and objectives and the actual reality. Um, And clearly one of the things that good leaders are trying to do with their community is to narrow that gap Um, and indeed to help the mission and vision of the school evolve because of the energy and the goodwill and the commitment and the sense of purpose of all of the community, including the staff. Mm. And that, you know, so in some respects, the staff room can become the, you know, it can be the um, hot plate of, of development. Hot plate is not the right word, but it, that can be the source of that energy. But as you say, it can also be the point at which the dissonance becomes very real. Um, yeah, and that, that that's inevitable, I think, in some places. And if I guess what you might then get is is that uh, that sense of, agitation depending on how unionized a staff are you might get that sense of activism but sometimes you need you need that in order to 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 kind of joggle people out of their comfort zone and to to raise to the surface the issues that are impacting on people's well-being and lives and you know their, their their future ambitions in our profession Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, very good. Yeah, mm-hmm. I suppose that kind of you know thought emerged from you know w- whether management should or should not be, and, and in what manner they should be in the staff room, and whether yeah. they pick well, those I mean, things up. I, get, and, 
And I guess the first rule, the only real rule for me would be that they should never be there in a surveillance mode. Mm. That's not appropriate. Absolutely. <laughs> you're reminding me, this is a show of memories this evening, you're reminding me of one vice principal a very, very long time ago. And uh, that, that was his de facto being in the staff room. It literally was to survey with such scrutiny, you really felt you didn't need Ofsted. You felt you were inspected every break and lunch. <laughs> That's uh, not very helpful, days, is it? Hopefully, hopefully those days are well gone. Well, uh, you'd hope so, but I'm not sure. I know. <laughs> it doesn't, yeah, so again, and I, some of the data from the research would suggest that that still does happen. Oh, I know, I know, I know it does, yeah. Uh, we're laughing, and it might be tongue-in-cheek, but we are laughing, Rachel. What's the role of humour in the staff room? Oh, humour is part of humanity. So I guess if staff rooms are where the humanity gather, then humour is should be present. Mm. Um, is it? I mean, like it is in any context, it can be a really um, important way for people to to. Um, you know, take the pressure off uh, to uh, expose and reveal some of the things that are actually creating tension, but in a in an alternative way. Um, but uh, you know, again, it, it can be humour can be very divisive as well, and there is that risk, isn't there, that people encounter what others would say. Well, it's just banter, it's just humour, mm. but actually, it, it's not. It's felt very differently than that. Um, yes, of course. On the outside, so uh, again, you know, staff rooms are that like, they are they they're like a family Christmas dinner, aren't they? <laughs> um, you know, good. and <laughs> there will be a moment when you feel this is coming along swimmingly, and there'll be other moments when it all feels like it's it's falling apart, and you wish you'd never had to have another one. Oh gosh, yeah. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Not in my family. Not in my family, clearly. Oh, not in mine either, of course. Not. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Suppose I think, um, yeah, I do think humour is very important, but you're right and you're absolutely right to point out the dangers in it. I, I think I've been very lucky to have had many colleagues who are, you know, really very talented uh, people and, and people I've admired. Uh, over years, you know, I, I met some really superb, um, superb raconteurs um, who could tell you stories and maybe stories about their teaching even that give <laughs> you immense enjoyment and fun, but also, you know, were very educational. They really taught you things. Oh, yes, definitely. And I know, you know, when people were remembering Tim Brighouse, it was those sorts of qualities oh, well, that they valued yes. so much yes. in in knowing him and absolutely you know i i have very strong memories of of those storytellers um mm. and i mean actually that's interesting because inadvertently you've connected with another piece of work that that i'm involved with which has been around narrative and about the the importance of using narrative as a means of kind of communicating uh across across those generational gaps in education um, and uh, using narrative to identify 
challenges and opportunities um, and even a narrative form of coaching. Uh, but it, it comes down to that, you know, that wealth of story that we actually can carry from the wealth of experience that we gain in education. Mm. That's very interesting, Rachel. That's maybe another entire show. But, um, <laughs> but there'll be better is... people than me to talk about narratives. But yes, it'll be a lovely show. I wouldn't think so. <laughs> I wouldn't think so. But it's interesting we use narrative a lot in Northern Ireland to kind of, you know, that transit um, intergenerational kind of trauma that has gone with the troubles and things. Ooh. I know there would be groups now who would um, be very reliant on that kind of narrative and storytelling and, you know, getting those kind of broad, deep meaningful messages across across to try to unite communities it's mm -hmm. very very interesting yeah rachel we're really out of time <laughs> and as is traditional on this show i ask a question that goes along the lines of rachel if you had a magic wand and only one spell that you ca could cast what would you wish for that would improve the lot of teachers? Well, you did warn me <laughs> about an hour and a half ago of this question. And so I thought about it and I thought what my magic wand would achieve is that we have an education system that treats adults as adults, so teachers as adults, and allows children to be children. Excellent. Excellent. That's it. A nice short, a nice short and sharp <laughs> wish. That's how a spell should be, isn't it? Yeah, well, you said one wish. Yeah, one <laughs> Has wish. To be memorable. Yeah, but I think, you know, we it, it's, it is a bit too um, easy to forget that the, you know, the staff are adults, they're grown-ups, and they should be treated with a huge amount of um respect for their professionalism and autonomy because if you don't you lose it <laughs> you know uh, but also children are children they're not mini adults um and so we need to remember that in our schools i think there's another two shows in your in your final <laughs> remarks there Rachel. <laughs> but listen we've come to the end tonight i have thoroughly enjoyed it uh, our our chat so much so much to think about um, I'd also like to give up just a, a special thanks to a mutual friend I think we have and a friend of the show, Jill Berry. Um, oh, yes. I think we, we both spoke to uh, Jill about the show that was coming up. So special thanks to Jill. And that's really it, Rachel, except again to thank you very much for coming on the show. You've been a fabulous guest and I really look forward to having you on again in the future. Oh, well, thank you. And it was lovely to meet you in Dublin. So it's nice to chat again. Oh, we forgot about Dublin. Uh, but Rachel, Dublin's a secret. What happened in Dublin stays in Dublin. <laughs> <laughs> Great to talk to you. Thank you and good night. Good night. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.